Morning, everyone. Give us a wave. Don't speak too loud. Maybe turn to the left and the right, say hello to the person next to you, 1.5 metres away. Turn around, the other side. All you have to do is say hello. That's it. No spreading any germs, anything of the sort. Very good. Is that it? Is that it? Just hello and that's it. That's, that's the best you get after a year of not seeing one another. You turn around and see another human being and you just say, hi, hi. That's it. Hi, hi. Really good to have you here with us this morning. Um, a couple of things that happened this week. We had a funeral of Jeff Roberts, and I want to talk a little bit more about Jeff next week when we start our series that launch out for six to eight weeks um, that we're going to be talking about alongsiders and what that means to be an alongsider. And, uh, but his funeral was this week, and continue to pray for Norman. As uh, Ali had said, Norman is a gentleman statesman. He's uh, 92 years old, and he's been such an encouragement to our community over the years. He knew a gentleman called Billy Graham, hung out with him for about 20 years, and until about two years ago when Billy Graham died, he would get a Christmas card every year uh, still from him. That was a sort of a close connection and a close connection to us as well. Now, do I have anyone in grade four or grade five here? Anyone in grade four or five? Give, give me your hand up. There's, there's one hand. Is there anyone else? Grade four or five. I see another hand. Um, and is Eli here? Is Eli here as well? Is uh, Tom here and Eli? No, I want two people who are in grade four or five to come up with me. need you to help for a second. Just come run up, run up straight up to me here. I've got a cake of soap and I'm going to give a cake of soap to each of you. One other person or grade three will do as well. Hello, Kirsten, could you just take that and just unwrap it and then go and sit down. Actually, go and sit down and unwrap it. And I'm going to call you up at the very end. Just remind me, okay? I've got a cake of soap. And one other. Who is this? Leah's coming down. She's going to... Thank you, Leah. She's going to grab the other soap. We're uh, talking about being very clean this morning. No, we're not. Leah, just come and grab this. That's good. That's it. That's it. Great. Great. Take it back with you. Open it up and just you hold on to that for the rest of the time. I'm going to leave that there. And uh, let's see what we do with that at the very, very end. We're talking about priorities this week. And um, I wonder if you've ever... I wonder if you've ever been in a situation where you want to bargain with God. In fact, human beings do this really well all the time, bargain with God. We try and enter into some arrangement with God to get him to do stuff for us that we want, particularly we're in a tight situation. So a number of years ago when I was younger, I was leading a camp uh, down on Phillip Island and uh, I was the person looking after all of the surfing mob. They were the grommets, the young kids we called the grommets. And I remember getting out one morning and driving to the smallest swell on the island. I asked a local, where is the smallest, best swell for these, these grommets to go surfing in the morning time? And they, he said, actually, it's at YCW. So we drove to YCW and I parked the van and I looked out and it was about nine foot swell, just pumping down, dumping. And I just looked at it and said, there is no way these grommets are going to get out. So I said, look, I'm just going to sit in the van and watch. If you want to go out and surf, you can. And so they did. They, uh, they donned their surfwear, they put on their wetsuits and they paddled out. I thought they're not going to get past the breakers and they did. They got past the breakers. And for the next 45 minutes, I watched this, this pack of grommets. And, and they were just hanging out near the rocks that were between Smith's Beach and YCW. The swell was coming in. It was pushing them in a certain direction. No one was catching any waves. So after about 45 minutes, I went, oh, I'm gonna, I, I should probably actually get in the water and see how they're doing. So I got in the water and I paddled out to them. And I came across the guy who was the, the most knowledgeable of the island and he had another guy who was holding onto his leg rope and he was paddling this way and the other guy was holding onto his leg rope. And I said, what's going on? And uh, he said, I'm, the, the guy who was holding on, he said, I'm exhausted. I said, what do you mean you're exhausted? He goes, I've had it. 
I can't pedal anymore. I'm done. I said, what do you mean you can't pedal anymore? You're done. I said, what do you normally do in this situation when there's nine foot swell and it's pumping and it's dumping? And he goes, I don't know. This is the first time I've ever been out. I said, what? He goes, yeah. He said, everyone else put on their wetsuits and paddled out. So I just thought this was normal. I said, oh my goodness. So there and then for the next about 10 minutes as we tried to both, he held on to both our leg ropes and we tried to pull him away from the rocks because literally we were paddling up and we could look down and see the rocks below. We started to do deals with God. <laughs> I heard them coming out of his mouth. He'd say things like this, God, if you could get me out of this situation, I will serve you. I will follow you. I'll do whatever it is for the rest of my life. And uh, we all kind of muttered our prayers in that moment. So in the midst of the whole thing, I, I had to make a decision. I said, you know, the safest thing for us to do or the only option we have is to allow the swell that's heading into Smith to push us across the reef or not the reef, but the rocks and to see if by some miracle we would land on the beach next door. So that's what we did. We turned our surfboards and we actually let the swells just wash us across, washed us across the rocks, washed us into Smith's Beach. And I can still remember us holding on to the sand as the waves dumped us on the ground, thanking God and saying, offering all of our prayers and saying, I'll do whatever, breathing very heavily. I wonder if you have ever tried to do a deal with God. It strikes me. The human beings love to try and do deals with God because when we're out of control, we want to try and leverage someone to get control for us. In fact, the Bible is littered with examples of people doing deals with God. There's a guy by the name of Gideon. He was a young guy. God appeared to him through an angelic being. I don't want to explain all those details, but he said, I want you to be a mighty warrior and take on a, a, a fighting force, and I want you to push out the enemies of the land. Well, Gideon, he was the, the least and the smallest of his whole tribe and his clan, and he was scared spitless. So he turned to God one night and he said, I, I'm not sure if I really heard from you. I'm not sure if that was really you. So can we do a deal? He said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get a wooden, woolen fleece. I'm going to put it out on the ground. And in the morning time in my threshing floor, if the woolen fleece is damp, it's got all the dew in it from the night and the floor is clean, then I'll know you've spoken to me and I'll do whatever you want. So he puts his fleece out. In the morning time, he wakes up. The fleece is wet, so much wet with dew that he squeezes it out into a bowl and there's a whole bowl full of water and the ground around is dry. You know what he says? He says, God, how about we do it a second time? How about if I reverse the details now? What about if the floor gets really wet and the fleece is really dry? Then I'll really know that it's you and then I'll do what you want me to do. And so he puts the fleece out and sure enough in the morning time he wakes up and it's all wet on the floor and the, and the fleece is dry and then scared spitless, he gets pushed into doing something that seems miraculous and mighty and God is actually with him. I wonder if you've ever tried to do a deal with God. See, when it comes to our priorities, I'm realizing that we all love to do contractual arrangements with God. That's the kind of arrangement that says, God, if you do something for me, then I'll do something for you. Now, God's really gracious. Sometimes he actually does that. He washed us into the beach next door. But then sometimes we can just forget that, leave that behind and just get on with our lives. You see, what I sense God calls human beings to do is I want you to enter into a covenant partnership with me that's based upon mutual love and faithfulness and obedience and trust. In short, I think God wants us to go deeper with him rather than just use him as a genie that we can rub to get all the things that we want. 
In fact, it was a Twiggy Forest, probably one of our, Australia's most well-known mining magnates who tells a story that's on the record that goes something like this. He says, when I was a kid, I got on my motorbike and my brother and I, we used to go out into the back sticks, out into the sand dunes, and what we'd do is we'd play among them. He said, one day I was out there and by myself, I'd driven my, my motorbike out there and he said, I was playing around in the sand dunes. And so what I did is I actually got my keys to the bike. I was miles away from home. He says, what I did, I got the keys and I turned my back to the sand dune and I threw my keys as far as I could over my back into the sand dunes so I could just, you know, have some fun trying to find them. He said, I spent hours trying to find those keys. Came up short, completely confounded, he said. He said, until as a young kid, I turned and I prayed and I said, God, could you help me find my keys? This is on the record. And he said the next moment he looked at his bike and there they were sitting on the top of his carburetor. And he said to himself, God, if that's the way you want to work, then so be it. You see, God calls people not into a contractual arrangement to satisfy all our insecurities, although he does that graciously at times too. He's calling us into deeper covenant partnership in which trust and obedience and love is part of it. Last week, we looked at the book of Haggai. If you've got your Bible there, or if you want to look on your um, iPhone device, um, then or your phone, uh, why don't you look up version and you can follow with me. It's Haggai. It's chapter 1 and 2. In fact, the book of Haggai is probably one of the smallest in the entire Bible. Um, the book of Haggai is, is one that talks about this consider your ways theme. It's appropriate for us as you begin your new year of 2021 that you might do a step back, that you might do a stock take, that you might do a check out and say, God, or even if you're not following God and you're just checking him out yourself, that you might pause for a moment and say, what's my year going to look like? What are my priorities? In fact, the words of Haggai are, would you consider your ways? So that's what we're doing both last week and this week about priorities. The year is 520 BC. The people of God have been in exile for 70 years in Babylon, which is about 70 miles south of Baghdad in Iraq. And they've been languishing there. The Babylonian Empire has flexed its muscles. They've overtaken Israel and Jerusalem. They've smashed down the temple. They've smashed all the buildings. And they've taken and deported a whole group of people up into hundreds of miles away in the north. I remember a couple of years after the Indonesian army had left East Timor, visiting East Timor, and seeing the, the goodbye parting gift the Indonesian army had left for the Timorese people, they smashed and blew up and destroyed every single bit of infrastructure in the place. And I could imagine them coming back and it was looking rather like that kind of wreckage that I saw and the people are now starting to scratch out their existence. You see, God had promised through his spokespeople, the prophets, that they would return. And so a remnant had returned under the edict of the Persians, of Cyrus and Darius. And here they were scratching out an existence together. And as they were starting to prepare their own homes, God, it just was by way of review, comes to them through Haggai and he says these words to him to pass on to the people. So he provokes them and he says, Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your panelled houses while this house remains a ruin? You see, there they were, they were building their own houses, trying to scratch out an existence, planting their crops so they could survive, so their presence could remain in the land, their homeland Whilst God's temple, his house actually remained in a ruin. 
And so God comes to them and he provokes them. You see, they're operating by the principle that we call the once-then principle. That is, the principle that goes like this. Once I've done everything I ever want to do in my life, then I actually might give God a go. Once I've made my millions of dollars, then I'm going to become generous. If you're a parent here, once I've raised my kids and they're in perfect order and they do everything exactly the way I want them to, then I will be happy. Good luck with that one. And what it might be is they say, once I've actually done this, then I will do that. The once-then principle. The only problem with the once-then principle in my own life and maybe yours is that often we do the once, but we never get around to the then. And so what Haggai does, he comes to them and he says these words. Go up to the mountains and bring down timber and build my house, says God, so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You see, God was saying to them, you're honoring yourselves and you're looking after your own priorities, but where are you honoring me? You're building your own houses, but do you want me to dwell among you? And then uncomfortably, he pushes it a little bit further. We looked at this last week and he said, you expected much, says God through the Haggai. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. You see, they'd been planting their crops, but producing little. They'd been wrapping themselves up in warm clothes, but they were still cold. When they were filling their money bags with with their coins, it seemed as though that they were falling through. There were holes in their money bags. They were lighting a fire, but they were still not able to get warm. And God says to them, I want you to know that you haven't been as productive as you had hoped. You still feel like you're scratching out an existence because you haven't been honoring me. Is this God being a meanie? No, this is God saying, I've done these things so I can get your attention. You see, what I want you to understand is that I don't want to just have some kind of contractual arrangement with you where you can say, oh, I've done this, so now I will do that for you. What I want to do is bring you into a deeper, trusting, love relationship with me based on faithfulness and obedience because I want to go deeper and I want you to come deeper with me. So God was saying, I blew it all away and it hasn't actually produced what it should have produced. Why? Not because I don't like you. It's because I actually love you and I want something deeper. And if you could just understand that I actually want to be in your presence. Because when you carve out a place for me in your life and you actually have me as present to you, then you'll understand that I'm the kind of God that wants to provide that wants to protect, that wants to empower you, even in the midst of the challenges that you face. I want to suggest to us this morning that God wants to take us deeper. You might start with a contractual arrangement, but he presses it on from there. And so that's exactly what the people were challenged by. They said, actually, we do want God's presence among us. We do want to honor him. We do want to put first things first. And so they did. Whilst they were etching out their existence in their homes, whilst they were building their panelled walls, they started to put their back into the hard work of building God's temple so that he would dwell with them as well. And so then, Haggai writes, 
Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai because the Lord their God had sent him and the people feared the Lord. You see, when people fear God, it's not so much that he wants you to run away and hide. When you fear something, you run away and hide and put your head under a pillow. The kind of fear that he's talking about is the kind of the revering kind. You see, when you revere something, you honor it. When you fear something, you run away. You know the difference? It's kind of like electricity. When you deal with electricity in the right way, you know it's powerful, but you respect it because of what it can do. It's kind of like the sun. It warms and it gives light and does all kinds of wonderful things, but if you look at it for long enough with your eyes, it'll blind you. Why? Because you need to respect it. It's powerful. You need to fear it in that way. It's kind of like the waves at YCW when they're pumping nine foot and you're thinking, I shouldn't go out in that surf. That'd be dumb. Because if I really respected and honored and feared it, revered it, then I would honor it and probably err on the side of caution. That's exactly what God wants. And so to obey is to fear, if you like, is to honor. Why? Because you know that there's something bigger and more powerful than you, and he has your back. And so they did that, and the message came through. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people, that God to the people, he said, I am with you, which raises a whole other principle that we often offer and we often live by we want to do, when we want to deal with God on a contractual basis when we bargain with him rather than go deeper with him in intimate and love kind of relationship. You see, God's promise that he was with them came after that they obeyed and they began to do the work. If you like, we often want to work by the principle in our own lives, the if-then principle. You know how it goes. God, if you do this, then I will do that. If you do this for me, then I will do that for you. Often God graciously answers those prayers, but he doesn't want to leave it there. He wants to take it deeper so that you walk in deeper, trusting, faithful, obedient relationship to him based on a loving covenant partnership, not a genie that you can rub to get the things that you want. See, our problem that I find when I look at my own life is I operate by the if-then because I want to control situations that feel out of control. So let me ask you, how have you gone in this past year with COVID? When you've been rattled by the insecurity of vulnerability, where have you run? To whom have you gone? I wonder how God, what he might be saying to you, what he might be provoking in you. Do you want to operate on that level of the the if then, the once then, or do you want to go deeper with him into deeper intimacy and trust that he might reveal himself to you? You see, that's what God's about. He, he reverses it and he says, no, no, no. What I'd like you to do is start to learn to trust me. I want you to respond and then. So if you obey my voice, then I can show myself to you because what I'm after and seeking in you is a trust relationship based upon love and faithfulness and obedience rather than the contractual one that we often govern our lives by. And so then, it's just a month later, they've put their back to the plow, they've pressed on as hard as they could, they're not only doing the paneling of their own house, but they're building God's temple for him to dwell there as as well. 
and it's been hard. I mean, those stones are heavy. Those, that paneling is tough. I mean, you need not just a good carpenter, you need a great carpenter. I'm sure there's some of those carpenters in the room here with me just now, and they don't have all the tools that all the carpenters have that they have these days, and it's back-breaking work. And so you can imagine they're looking after their own home, scratching out an existence, and they're also putting their hand to the plow and building gods, and it's just exhausting, kind of like getting back to school the first or the second week in February, right? When everything starts to ramp up and get busy and it's just exhausting. And so God comes through Haggai again and he says these words to the people. Who is left who saw this house in its former glory? I mean, some of you are old enough to have remembered. It's been 70 years, but just the real young ones, they've grown old. Talk to the old people and ask them, who remembers the former glory of this house, this temple? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? You see, God's been hearing the groans of the people. They've entered into this just after one month, this overwhelming sense of disillusionment. It's too hard. It's too tough. It's too pressing. I can't do it. And I remember what this place used to look like. There is no way we could ever get it back to that. I mean, I know, God, that you're with us, but it's all too hard. I want to give up. And so he comes and he says these words to the people. I want you to take courage, Zerubbabel, the the governor of the people. I want you to take courage, Joshua, the high priest, the one who's the go-between humans and God. I want you to take courage, all you people of the land, says the Lord. I want you to work, for I am with you. According to the promise that I made when, when I brought you up out of Egypt and I said, you will be my people and I will be the, your God and I will provide for you and I'll protect you and I will guard you and I will keep you. And above all, I do not want you to fear. So I want you to take courage. I want you to take courage when you're feeling disillusioned. I want you to take courage when you're feeling like it's all too hard. I want you to take courage when you're feeling like there's nothing that you can see ahead that looks like it's turning out for any good. I want you to take courage. You see, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is the determination to look fear square in the eye and say, my God is with me. I want to say that God is with me. Even in the midst of the struggle, for I am with you. That's what I want you to know. You see, in our Western context, we've believed this idea about God, that God is only with us in the great things. In our successful material Western culture, we have learned to say that success is the determination that God is with me. When everyone and everything in my life is perfect, when I have made all the dreams come true that I've wished, that's the sign and that's the sure promise that God is with me. That is so not so from the book of Haggai. Because whilst they're in the midst of their struggle, whilst they're in the midst of trying to etch out their existence, God comes to them. And says, thank you, you've put your priorities in order. You're honoring me. But I want you to know, I'm with you. I'm with you in the struggles. I'm with you in the hardship. I'm with you when it feels like it's all too hard. And what I want you to do is keep coming to me and asking for my strength. 
asking for my energy. Asking when you feel alone to remember and to believe that I am with you. Am I making sense this morning? I wonder how God might be speaking to you. You see, human beings, we want a contractual arrangement with God so we can tie him up, bind him, secure him, so we can control him to do our bidding. Oh yeah, he might meet you at your point of need, but that's only to press you deeper into a loving trust obedience with him. See, as I face this year ahead, I'd say as a church community, I'm more disorganized than ever. We're all still sitting a meter and a half apart. How do we do that? We're still putting masks on. How do we do that? How do we gather together again as a people? Will it ever be like its former glory? Whatever that was. Is there a way ahead? That's just my context. There's 150 contexts here. How might be God speaking to you today? I wonder if you need to be reminded to take the daring step of putting first, first things first. You see, you might want to say, God, I will do this if you do that. And he goes, no, 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 no. You want to come deeper with me? I want you to learn how it works. Honor me first. That's going to take a step of trust, obedience, faith, risk. Put first things first. Honor me in your life. Make a section of your life the center of it to etch out an existence for my presence to dwell. And then when you start putting your hand to the plow and it might seem hard and uncertain, don't believe the lies that I am not with you. I want you to know that I am with you. I'm with you. So this is not me, but it's me. At Christmas time, our family goes up to Bright. We take our bikes. I took my carbon fiber beautiful bike up with me. And I decided during the holiday time, yeah, I could do Tawonga Gap. Yeah, I could do Buffalo, but why not do Hotham? I've done it before. Let's just stroll up Hotham. So I did one day. I just got on the bike and I strolled up Hotham. It took a long time. It was slow. It was hard. And when I got to the top of Hotham, I decided, whew, all the hard work's done. Now I'm just going to cruise on down. And so I jumped on my bike, I sent back on my seat, and I started to descend. Now, if you don't know Hotham, those top sections up at Hotham, they, they're steep. They are scary steep. And there are no guardrails. So you could just, whoo, just, whoo, right? And so I'm down, I'm sitting on the back of my seat, and the steepest descent, all of a sudden there is an explosion, there is an almighty pop, and my rear tire explodes. And as I'm heading down, gripping down my my handlebars as tough as I could, my back is just spinning. Anyone who knows this, you know that you know the drill. You know the drill, right? And so I eventually get to the end, like I stop, heart pounding. I have a tube in there with two other uh, air. I I wasted the first one, but I I, I figured out the second one, got my tire pumped up again. And then I've still got some other gnarly sections, right? So what do I do? Wanting to control the situation, I grip 
my brakes as tight as I can for the next 20 kilometers because I don't want another blowout in a risky section. Make it down so much so that I lost feeling in my hand. At one stage coming down the meg, I had to actually make sure that my fingers were on the brakes because I couldn't feel them. Got down the next day, I had a look at my carbon fiber wheels and noticed that on one of them, on the rear one, there's this, there's this burn mark that's burned into it. And I go, ooh, that doesn't look good. So I take it to a bike shop and they say, because I thought maybe they put the wrong pads on, they need carbon for carbon. And the guy generously looked at me as he assessed it. I said, maybe they put the wrong, they put the wrong pads on, you need carbon for carbon. And he said, you know what? There's people that come up from Melbourne. during the holiday time, and, and they don't have hills in Melbourne like Hotham. And so I think what's happened here, they put the right brake pads on. It's just that I think this is due to excessive braking, he said. <laughs> I melted my wheel. It is useless. $1,000 wheel, right? Melted. I didn't pay that much. I know someone is just shaking their head right now. You see, when we get in control of things, when we're out of control and we fear, we want to grip tighter and feel like it's me, I've got to do it all. And I think what God invites us to do is not be stupid and take your hands off the brakes on Hotham, but to live more openly. Now, who are my two helpers? Leah and Kirsten, come on up here. I've got a challenge for you. Let's see if this works. Just your soap. Just the soap. Come on, Leah. Where are you? All right. Okay. Now, Kristen, if you put your soap there, and Leah, if you put your soap there, right there, I'm going to say go. And what I want you to do is when I say go, grab your soap as hard as you can, hold it above your head with one hand and hold it for 10 seconds as hard as you can. Okay? Are you ready? You could choose any hand. When I say go, I want you to grab it, hold it above your head for 10 seconds and squeeze it as tight as you can. You ready? Go. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Well done. Was that easy? No. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I brought some water here with me today. What I want you to do is drop your soap into the water for a second. Okay? Very good. Now, with your opposite hand, your weak hand, weaker hand, I want you to just swish the soap around with me for a second. Just swish it around. Swish it around. That's it. Move it with your hand. Okay. I'm not sure if this is going to work or not. Okay. Hands out. What I'm going to do now is I'm, when I say go, what I want you to do is reach in and find your cake of soap, and I want you to grab it, and I want you to hold it as tight as you can above your head for 10 seconds with your arms straight. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you sure you're ready? Set. Go. Go. Oh. Above your head. Squeeze it as tight as you can. Good. And again, Kristen, do it as tight as you can. Good. Just, just squeeze it tight. Just can. Oh, well done. Give him a hand. You can take your soap back. You can take it back home with you, okay? Well done. I'm not going to use that soap. You can use it. Thank you, Kristen. But what you did is explain to us perfectly what I want to say in life. So we're going to create some space right now. And I want you to think about the soap. 
counterintuitively, you want to hold on to something, you squeeze it tighter. But counterintuitively, with a wet cake of soap, like a wet footy, you've got to hold it looser with your hand open. Counterintuitive. I think that's the way it is with God. Struggling in life, you grip tighter. I'm going to do this, my strength, my work. Rather than say, God, you're here with me. Instead of gripping so tight and it's all about me and control, I want to give it up and trust you. Wet soap. That's what I want you to think about this week. Wet soap. And trusting. So I wonder how God's speaking to you today. First things first. Take courage. First things first, take courage. Kyle's going to play quietly for a moment and invite God to speak to us. And I want you, if you might pause and you say, God, what are you saying to me? In the quiet. And then help me to put first things first. Will you make a decision this year? 2021. Priorities. And it begins with God saying, I want to go deeper with you. Will you trust me? We can do the once then and the if then thing, okay. But I want to go deeper. So as Kyle plays, let's just pause for a moment. You might want to posture yourself, close your eyes, open your hands and say, God, what would you like to speak to me? I open my heart and my mind to you. Would you speak?